Hello, everyone. Welcome to session three in our study of Esther. Today we're beginning in chapter two, and we'll be discussing verses one through 11. So today we're just going to dig right into the text and begin by reading. Verse one says, sometime later, when King Ahasuerus' rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what was decided against her. The king's personal attendant suggested, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom so that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem at the fortress of Susa. Put them under the supervision of Hegai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women. Give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young woman who pleases the king will become queen instead of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the king, and he did accordingly. In the fortress of Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Kish had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took King Jeconiah of Judah into exile. Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin Hadassah, that is, Esther, because she had no father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good-looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as, her own, as his own daughter. When the king's command and edict became public knowledge, and when many young women were gathered at the fortress of Susa under Hegai's supervision, Esther was taken to the palace, into the supervision of Hegai, keeper of the women. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor, so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet she received. He assigned seven handpicked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. Esther did not reveal the, her ethnicity or her family background because Mordecai had ordered her not to make them known. Every day, Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. So this passage begins by saying later, well, later than what? Well, in chapter one, we learned that King Ahasuerus has dethroned his queen because she refused his order to come to his party and show off her beauty. Now, four years later, history tells us, King Ahasuerus suffers a crushing defeat after a failed attempt at invading Greece. And here in verse one, he has returned home with his hat in his hand. So looking for comfort and solace, he remembered his beautiful queen and the fact that his advisors told him to divorce her. Jewish historian Josephus said that the king was grieved that matters with Queen Vashti had been carried so far. Well, that's often what happens when we make decisions based on anger, isn't it? It leads to decisions that we regret when the anger subsides. So the king was in very poor spirits. And when the king ain't happy, nobody's happy. So his advisors, most likely the same men who recommended he depose the queen, they suggested he gather up all the beautiful women in the land so that he can choose a new queen. And this idea pleased the king, so he did so. Now, at this point, I want to mention the fact that some commentators suggest that the king held a sort of beauty contest and that beautiful women from all over the empire entered this beauty contest in order for a chance to become queen. Well, I have a bit of a different take on that. And the reason that I'm mentioning alternative views of this passage 
is to highlight the fact that Scripture is perfect, but human beings are not. Therefore, our interpretations of Scripture are not always going to be infallible. Although I try very hard to adhere to the truths of Scripture, I am not perfect. It's important that we learn from godly pastors and teachers, but it should never overshadow or replace our own study of Scripture. So I encourage you, please don't just take my word for it. Read these passages for yourself. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Always compare what you hear with what you read. So with that said, let get, let's get back to the text. Um, considering the language used here, I mean, verses 3 and 8 say that the women were gathered. Verse 8 also says that it was by the king's command or edict. The king commanded that these women be brought to him. And if you're familiar with Persian law, you know no one refused a, a command of the king. Verse 8 also says that the women were brought under the supervision of Hegai, keeper of the women. Other translations say the word use the word custody. They were brought under the custody of Hegai, which is even stronger language. And history also tells us that once a woman was brought into a harem, it was for the rest of her life. She was at the king's disposal to do with as he pleases. In my opinion, the text seems to indicate that these women had very little choice in what was happening to them. Now, perhaps some saw it as an honor to serve the king in such a way, but it's clear their choices and freedoms were very limited. And this is a vivid portrayal of the evil of humankind, subjugating women for personal pleasure. I think as Christians, we sometimes don't want to see evil. We don't want to admit that it exists, but this is what happens to people without God. This is what people without God are capable of. And it's a wake-up call, I believe, that if we aren't following Jesus every day and in every way by praying and reading our Bibles and obeying his words, then we're capable of doing evil too. I think the minute that we assume, I would never do that, is the minute that we open ourselves up for our enemy, the devil, to tempt us. We must be ever on our guard and realize that it is only through Christ and the Holy Spirit's power that we don't do these things. Now, verses 5 and 6 say, In the fortress of Susa there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Kish had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took King Jeconiah of Judah into exile. So, as we previously discussed in chapter 1, Babylon conquered Judah in 597 B.C., and brought Jewish exiles back to Babylon. Mordecai's ancestor Kish was among those taken. Now, when King Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon in 539 BC, he gave Jews permission to return to Judah. Many Jewish people, like Mordecai and Esther, though, chose to remain in Persia, and they were given certain freedoms, like working and raising families. Now, verse 7 tells us that Hadassah, or Esther, was Mordecai's cousin. And Esther was beautiful and lovely. And when her parents died, when she was young, Mordecai raised her as his own daughter. You see, God had a plan. He led Mordecai to adopt Esther and provide love and stability and protection. And God gave Esther the gift of beauty. 
but it was not a gift to be used for her own benefit or glory, but it was an attribute to be used for God's glory. It was her beauty that got her into the king's court and in the perfect position to save her people. God didn't place her in the position of queen just to be queen. He had a reason for her being there. God has a reason for placing you in the position where you are. There's a reason why you were born in this time in history. There's a reason why you have that job, why you live in that place, why you're surrounded by those people. God has a purpose for you being there. What a privilege to be a part of God's purpose. And he's given you exactly the gifts and abilities that you need to fulfill his purpose for you. Now, we may not all have been given the gift of beauty or handsomeness. I recently read a story about a woman who made a mad dash out of her house early one morning when she heard the garbage truck pulling away. She was in her bathrobe. Her hair was in curlers. She had cream all over her face, a beat-up old pair of slippers. She was a total mess. When she got to the garbage truck, she called out, Am I too late for the garbage? The garbage collector took one look at her and said, No, hop right in. Yeah, not all of us have the gift of beauty. I certainly don't. But we all have been given something, something that is significant and special. And whatever our gifts are, they aren't meant to be used for our own glory, which is cheap, empty, and fleeting, but for God's glory and advancing his purpose, which is priceless, fulfilling, and eternal. So once all the women, including Esther, were gathered into the harem, each woman was given special beauty treatments. These beauty treatments lasted for about a year. One commentator said, For six months they were treated with oil and myrrh, and then for six months with spices and cosmetics before going and presenting themselves before the king. I would imagine Esther is feeling as if things are completely out of her control at this point. Have you ever had the feeling that other people are making all the choices about your life for you? Have you ever felt like you had no say in what was happening to you? That is a frightening and uneasy feeling. But we can see now what she couldn't see then, that God saw her and was still involved in her situation. Hindsight is twenty twenty, of course, but what we need to remember is if God was there for us in the past, then he is here for us in our present. Esther may have been caught off guard, but God wasn't. God is never caught off guard, and he is never surprised. He was preparing her to be a hero, even though she didn't know it. Because it says Esther gained the favor of Hegai, the man who supervised the women, and he gave her special beauty treatments and special food, and assigned seven maids to her, and gave her the best quarters. Now, some scholars take issue with the fact that Esther ate the special food given to her, and she did not adhere to the Jewish dietary laws. And she also kept her identity as a Jew hidden because Mordecai told her to. Scholars refer to the fact that Daniel, when he was taken captive by Babylon, he and his friends did not eat the special food the king provided for them and continued to follow the Jewish dietary laws. So they view Esther as unfaithful or disobedient. But you must draw your own conclusions from Scripture. But I don't think it's that simple. First of all, I believe it can be dangerous when we start comparing one person's faithfulness to another. If I think I'm more faithful than someone else, it leads to pride. If I think I'm less faithful, it leads to shame. 
Only God has the power and right to judge a person's faithfulness. Therefore, we shouldn't judge Esther's, or anyone else's for that matter. God deals with us according to his standards, and we must trust his judgment. Even if Esther showed a different level of faithfulness, that didn't mean that God still couldn't use her in a mighty way. Aren't we glad that God still wants to be a part of our lives and has a plan for us, even when there are times when we're not as trusting and faithful as we should be? Was it a mistake for Esther not to adhere to the Jewish dietary laws and make it known she was a Jewish follower of God? Maybe. But who among us gets it right every time? Do we serve a God who only blesses the ones who do everything right? I'm in big trouble if this is so. But praise be to God that he loves and has a purpose for everyone, in spite of our weakness, in spite of our failures. He doesn't ask for perfection, but a heart that is surrendered to him. And even when we feel weak and faithless, God is still present and has a beautiful plan in store for us. I love what Micah 6.8 says, What is it the Lord requires of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Verses 10 and 11 reveal that Mordecai is a devoted and protective father, and Esther is a respectful and obedient daughter. She doesn't reveal her identity as a Jew because Mordecai told her not to, probably for her safety. And verse 11 says after she was taken, Mordecai would walk back and forth into the courtyard every day, to learn how she was doing and to see what was happening to her. I would imagine Mordecai was distraught over his daughter being conscripted into the king's service. Imagine it. Life in a palace with a king sounds glamorous, but being a part of a harem, your life is no longer your own. Your freedoms and will is governed by the king. It's hard to understand why God would allow Esther to go through such difficulty to accomplish his plan. It's difficult to reconcile human free will and God's sovereignty. But God never said that following him would be easy. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. If it was easy, then people wouldn't follow God out of love, but to have an easy life. God gives everyone the right to choose good or evil. And just because people like King Ahasuerus choose evil and followers of God sometimes have to suffer because of it, that does not mean that God is not good and loving and in control. Augustine once said, For God judged it better to bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil to exist. We must remember the fact that God is present, powerful, wise, and good is just as real and true as our current circumstances. So if you're struggling right now, it does not mean that God is not good. It does not mean that he is not present, and it does not mean that he is not sovereign. Was it cruel of King Ahasuerus to take these young women away from their homes and families and sequester them into the harem? Yes. But even in the midst of pagan cruelty, God was lovingly protecting Esther. By winning the favor of Hegai, she was given special treatment and safety. We see the same parallels in the life of Joseph, Jacob's youngest son. When his older brothers became jealous of him, they sold him into slavery. Yet in the midst of such difficulty, he remained faithful to God, and eventually he became second in command behind Pharaoh in Egypt, and he provided the means for his people to be saved. 
Joseph says in Genesis 50:20, "You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good, to bring about the survival of many people." Will we ever definitively answer the question why God allows evil? No. But that does not take away from his goodness, and it does not take away from his love for us. Because as we're going to see in chapters 8 and 9, God conquers evil. He did then, and he does today. So as we close this week's session, the challenge for the week is to take a few moments and look back over your life and reflect on the times where you knew that God was protecting you, when you knew things could have been so much worse, but they weren't. Or that moment in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the crisis where a shaft of light came piercing through. That moment of clarity, that moment of peace. As we reflect on those moments, let's thank and praise God for them. And may we remember that what he did for us then, he will still do for us today. Thank you so much for joining me. God bless you.